The Yankees continue to be on brand for the 2021 season. The roller coaster ride continues. They have given their fans the euphoria of the highest of highs, winning 13 straight to straighten out their season, but they also know how to knock their fan base back down to earth. We get into the five-game losing streak as the wild card race truly gets wild. We also preview this weekend's Subway Series in Queens. Plus, we remember how our world changed 20 years ago this Saturday on September 11th, 2001 and how baseball was part of the healing process as former Yankees reliever three-time World Series champion Mike Stanton joins us. It's all next on a Subway Series preview edition of the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All rise. Here's a Pinstripe Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with my co-host, four-time World Series champion Jeff Nelson. You'll hear our Mets fan producer and Amazing But True podcast host Jake Brown during the show as well as we will preview the Subway Series this weekend. Follow us all on Twitter at Chris Sheeran, yes, at NYNelly43 and at Jake Brown Radio. We'll be joined later in the pod by Nelly's old teammate, friend of the program, three-time World Series champion reliever Mike Stanton, as we look back to 9-11, 20 years later with a guy who was on that 2001 New York Yankee team. But first, we talk about the team 20 years into the future, that would be 2021, and the current Yankee team, Jeff, who really can't find a consistent way of winning this season. It's been a roller coaster. You've called it that all season long. This is a team that I thought would win 100 games this season. They're not going to sniff that, obviously, with 23 games left. And uh, right now, they have 78 wins. I don't think they're going to go 22-1 and the rest of the way. I don't know about you, because of the way they're playing and the lineup has been fluid. I I just don't know what – it seems, Jeff, that they're grasping at straws with the lineup. I know Cole left with an injury. The team is just reaching and uh, lost nine of their last 11. It's just unbelievable as you watch this. Yeah. And, you know, you can blame everything on the Rays, too, because, it, you know, you win 13 in a row, you expect to be in a little bit different path or a different situation. And because the Rays were just as good, and you looked at Toronto, and they kind of fell during that time, and now they find themselves right back in the race, a game and a half back from the Yankees. The Yankees are in the second wild card spot, a half a game behind Boston. They're nine and a half out of the East, and they're not going to win the East. And I didn't think so when even when they were six and a half or seven. I just thought it was too tough. But they're trying to find something in that lineup that can be somewhat consistent as far as trying to score runs, trying to take pressure off of pitchers. And now that you lose Cole, and who knows how long he's going to be out, your starting staff is not giving you the length that it used to. And, and now you're exposing the middle relief, and the middle relief is not there like you thought. It obviously disappointing because of the way they went, that little streak, that 13-game winning streak, the, the moves that they made at the deadline, and now it's it's going backwards again. Yeah, going backwards and you can't figure it out. Well, here's some numbers to maybe help you figure it out. The Yankees are 28 and 34 against the East. They're 50 and 27 against everybody else. The only team in the East that they have a winning record against is the Orioles. And it's not that impressive. They're nine and seven against the worst team in baseball. Nine and seven, six and 10 against the Red Sox, seven and nine against the Rays, six and eight against the Blue Jays. And that could get worse in the fourth and final game where the Yankees might get swept by the Jays. And Nelly, that would mean that the 
Blue Jays are only a half game behind the Yankees for the second wild card spot. And I talked about the lineup briefly, but Gardner leading off, LeMahieu down to five, Gallo hitting six. It just seems like it's all out of desperation. There hasn't been any consistency with the lineup. And when you go back, and I know analytics is all over the place, but when you go back to your teams that had the dynasty rolling, guys didn't, you know, they didn't have to guess where they were in the lineup. They knew coming to the park where they were going to be. Unless they were slumping, you know, they slid down a little bit. That's the way it worked back then. Now, you know, they base things on on on-base percentage and and power and OPS and all this other stuff. That's how they construct lineups. And it's fluid on a night-in, night-out basis. To me, I don't know about you, Jeff. If you're running a baseball team, are you trying to get guys consistency in the lineup or are you just trying to play fantasy baseball every freaking night and going by the numbers? Well, you know, I know they're trying to they're trying to do something to jumpstart this lineup, and any team's going to do the same thing as far as if they can't score consistently, they they're going to have to mix it up. You know, you look at Joey Gallo, and and really all he does is walk, he, he or hit a home run, and and then strike out. So a guy that walks as much as he does is not good at the at the end of the lineup because then you're talking about okay, you're getting on base for basically nothing because your seven, eight, nine hitters are not that great, so the odds of scoring are really low. I, I don't know where they see Joey Gallo as far as in that lineup. They tried him in a two hole and it's again, okay, either walks or he strikes out. But if he does get on base, at least you have Stanton and Judge and maybe Rizzo have the to give them the ability to try to drive him in. I just think they're they're trying to find something to get consistent and, and score runs. You know, I, I just don't you you look at the lineup, it's just a mess. You know, they're grounding into double plays. I mentioned before we went on and and you know, I went to the game last night on Wednesday and there was, it was almost like going to a library as far as the fans. It wasn't very crowded, but it was so quiet. I mean, you could almost hear the conversations in the dugout. It was so quiet. And, and there was just no energy for the Yankees as well. I mean, you're playing against a Blue Jay team who is maybe, well, they are. They're second in average in the American League. They're one of the best offensive teams in baseball. What I admire most from them is is you look at their lineup and, and they're, they're guys that are hitting close to 300, 280, 290. They have 25 bombs. They're driving in 80 runs. I mean, this is an incredible lineup, and you're throwing out and you're losing coal. You're not going to beat this team. And we said it before. you got to watch out for the Blue Jays, and this was way back in March and April and June. Yeah, and you were spot on. And, and this lineup, once they got healthy, just started ripping off wins. If they do sweep the Yankees, they'll have win. They'll have won eight straight games. The Yankees' offense—it's dead. Four runs in three games against the Blue Jays so far, and three of those runs came on the three-run homer by Gardner that tied the game up in the third game of the series. For crying out loud, Judge is one for his last twenty-one. Stanton is three for his last nineteen. Gallo's two for his last twenty-seven. Those three are six for their last 67, and Rizzo has six hits himself. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to win a lot of ball games when your big boppers in the lineup, like Judge, Stanton, and Gallup. We saw Judge and Stanton during the 13-game winning streak. They were basically carrying the team. Now they go silent. Other guys have to pick them up. You can't just throw blame at Judge and Stanton. I mean, other guys have to produce and especially when it comes time for the postseason, if you do get into that one game wild card, if you do make it past that one game wild card and into the ALDS, you're going to face 
very good pitching. This is not breaking news. This is actual stuff that you see every year with this Yankee team when they do get to the postseason, Jeff. The bats take a dirt nap against really good pitching, and and you just can't. Somebody asked me if they peaked too early during that 13-game winning streak, and I'll tell you the same thing I told the person who asked me. No, I didn't think they peaked too early. I think they needed that 13-game winning streak. They needed to straighten everything out. They needed to turn their season around, and they did that. And as you mentioned earlier, Jeff, you alluded to the fact that the Rays were just as on a ridiculous as a run as the Yankees were. I think the Rays were 35 and 16 and the Yankees were 34 and 18. It was something crazy like that over the same stretch from July 6th on. You know, you can't predict baseball as Mr. Sterling says all the time, but the Yankees have the 23 games left, Jeff, and they have to dig deep. The bullpen, we saw three of their trusted arms in game three against the Blue Jays in Holmes, Chapman, and Chad Green, they all gave up runs. This is not where you want the bullpen to be at this part of the season. 13 runs in their last, uh, or 10 runs in their last 13 innings pitched. Their ERA is just under seven. This is not a team that's going to make any deep run in the playoffs. This might not even be a team, Jeff, that gets into the wild card game if they keep playing like this. This is scary right now. This is gut check time for the New York Yankees. Well, you mentioned 23 games left. Is that what you said? 23? Yeah, 23. So basically, basically, if you if you look at it and you want to be you know, realistic, it's a 14-game season. These next, uh, after the Blue Jays series, you, know, you get Barrios on Thursday. And then you have 14 games of teams that are under 500 that you should, you know, you need to come out of there 10 and 4. Because then you have Boston, then you have Toronto, and then you have... Tampa Bay your last nine games of the season so if you don't do anything in these next 14 or 15 games if you want to count tonight your season's over and you know I wanted to ask you pose this question is it more of a disappointment that they don't make the playoffs or is it more of a disappointment that they make the playoffs and they get knocked out of that one game they, they play that one game playoff and they wind up losing that I think they're equally as terrible with not making the playoffs just a skosh underneath making that one game wild card and losing but you have to start thinking to yourself especially if you're Brian Cashman Nelly maybe we're going about this wrong we're trying to mirror the Tampa Bay Rays who have a third of the payroll that the Yankees have and are very heavily analytically driven but they have the they have baseball players have you seen just the other day I went back and I looked at September just September for the Rays offense and I think I saw two days so far in September where they didn't have double digit hits we're talking about the Rays here the Rays double digit hits I mean, this is not a team doing it with just pitching. This is a team doing it now with off. And now they, they just called up another ridiculous farmhand, another low, or I don't know if it's a low or a low that they just called up, but another guy. It's like their farm system is just full of uh, Kobe beef. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Just the turnstile of talent that the Tampa Bay Rays continue to bring into that awful ballpark, uh, Tropicana Field, down there in St. Pete. It's like the ballpark doesn't reflect how good the baseball team is because, let's face it, that is one of the worst stadiums uh, on the planet, Not, not just Major League Baseball on the planet. 
But I don't know, Jeff. I know Yankee fans are going to lose it either way because right now, if the season ended today, and I'm one of those people who hates saying that because it's not ending today, but if it did, they'd be in Fenway Park for a one-game playoff. And if they lose that one-game playoff to the Red Sox in Fenway Park, you know that's going to twist Yankee fans into the ceiling. And you also know that if the Yankees lose out to the Blue Jays in the wild card and miss the playoffs, that is also going to spin Yankee fans into the ceiling. So I don't know what's worse. I, I yeah, just don't know. I, I almost think that I know. I know. Okay, getting to the playoffs, anything can happen. They can wind up winning that one game. It almost. It's almost better that they just don't make it. It's almost better that they just. You know, they they had their ups and downs during the season. You know, they were there, and all of a sudden they started playing bad and poorly in, in September, and they wind up losing either to the Blue Jays, you have the A's, the Mariners are somehow in it, and the Red Sox. You know, it's almost better for them just not to make it. It's like, okay, you know, we didn't make the playoffs. You know, if you look at it, they probably don't deserve to make the playoffs. as much. Yes, they've gone through injuries, COVID, you name it, now Cole. You know, they just can't catch a break as far as staying healthy. But it might be easier if they just didn't make it at all. Stan, well, look. Look at look at what Aroldis Chapman was. I remember like the first month and a half of the season, you and I sitting here on this podcast talking about how unhittable Aroldis Chapman was. And he was the one constant in a really bad start for this Yankee team. And then once he went south and Britain couldn't stay off the IL, and now Loisaga is out of the bullpen. And I don't know why in the world a guy, look, I don't want to get on him uh, too much. You know, he he's, he's uh, I guess he's got some talent, but Brooks Krisky should not be sniffing the major league roster. Shouldn't be on the 40 man. Shouldn't have been up here throwing. He gave up five runs to the, I mean, I don't know what the hell. Jeff, it just seems like the, the front office, the team is just locked in stone to what they have. They won't think out of the box. They won't bring a guy like Greg Allen back. When he was up here, that's when the Yankees started having a little bit of life. He had a little bit of juice, not only on the field, but in the stands. It was a, it was a more exciting way of playing baseball. And look, I know you're not going to bring Ryan Lamar back up here because he was part of that too. But Greg Allen should be on this roster. A guy like uh, Esteban Florial should be on this roster. Guys who create electricity, guys who get on base and who make the pitchers' lives a little bit more, you know, hour, and I have to worry about them a little bit more. There's none of that. When a pitcher doesn't have to worry about guys in the – they're not even getting on base, let's let's be honest. And you know what? When Gallo does walk, he's not stealing. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. And if they're not bunting him over, they're not hitting sack flies, what good are walks? You know, what good are walks? This is a team that is right back to where it was at the beginning of the season – where they're waiting for the two, three-run homers, and good luck with all that, making the playoffs, and good luck with all that when you get into the playoffs, if you do, and you're waiting for that against great pitching. It's just not going to happen. All right. Uh, okay, enough. so when when are they going to get away from the analytics? When are they going to get away that, from the computer? That, I mean, that, if they don't make the playoffs, especially, Jeff, they really have to turn the page from this. They do. I agree, I, I, but, but I, is I it going to happen? And, and you know, I, I like what Brian Cashman did. I, I think he, you know... He did an outstanding job of making this team better and not having to give up anything and not having to expand the payroll. But to sit there and say that, oh, we're happy with the way our plan, this is our plan, this is our 10-year plan. You know, I remember him saying that in the wintertime when everybody was questioning the way he put together the team for 2021. And you're happy with the way things are going? I don't know how you're happy with the way things are going. Or even the direction or even the path or, or your so-called, hey, this is what the computer says path. I mean, when's it end? 
When's it end? I'm sorry, but for all the nerds out there who love their analytics and and who want to sit there until they're blue in the face and tell me that this is the way the Yankees have to do things because this is the way of the world right now, answer me this, okay? Because this is a mic drop moment for me. And I'm going to pick it right back up and welcome Jake in in a second, but I am going to drop the mic here. How many World Series championships have the analytically driven Yankees won? Goose Hello? egg. Hello. I'm, Goose I'm waiting. Egg. That would be the donut that I'm going to have for breakfast tomorrow. There you go. And there's Jake. And and, and we're going to bring Jake in because he's the host of the Amazing But True podcast with uh, Nelson Figueroa. And they're having it's the same a same amount of World Series that the Mets have won. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and they're... speaking of nerds, we, we got a manager that's a nerd with analytics that blew the game on Wednesday night because he he didn't walk the best hitter in the Marlins franchise. Congratulations, Luis Rojas. You are an idiot. <laughs> can you let me promote your event tomorrow? <laughs> and then you can get on your team. Sorry. I uh, tweeted it out. I got so angry. I'm like, I need to tweet it out. My roommate's sitting next to me, like, waiting for me to scream. I'm like, don't worry. I'm letting it out in the tweets right now. Ugh. Now, is your roommate a wet Met fan as well? No, they're both Boston fans, actually. Oh, but not big okay. not big baseball fans. They're Patriots and Red Sox. Yeah, and Celtics. So. so, in Astoria, Queens, at Catch Astoria, that's Catch with a K, our buddy Jake and Nelson Figueroa will, will be having a 9-11 fundraiser, and they'll be doing their podcast from Catch Astoria in Queens. Friday, uh, September 10th, and then we're going to have a watch party. Nellie and I will be there as well. We're going to have a watch party for the game as the Yankees take on the Mets at City Field. It's $9.11 to get in, and it all all the proceeds go to uh, victims, families of 9-11. It's a great job by Jake and Nellie and uh, Figgy, actually, and uh, Nellie and I will be there, so we can't wait for that tomorrow. And uh, yeah, You guys are our celebrity guests. You guys are the celebs that want to welcome to the stage, Chris Sheeran. Jeff Nelson and the crowd goes wild. <laughs> so no, we're gonna have more than ten people. Is there yeah, there'll be more, be more than, than ten, 10 people. people. <laughs> we've you know we've raised. We're, this is great. Nelly. Yeah, they'll know Nelly. You and can't walk out of there. Again. You can't walk out of there raising a hundred dollars. I hope you know when you have ten people and you do the roundup. We've already raised over three thousand, which is a decent amount so far. Oh, that's awesome. uh, on, yeah, on the rally up link and then you know a, we expect a pretty decent crowd and i think it's good that we'll welcome in mets yankees no matter what fan you are just come and you know we have a couple silent auctions figgy has a foursome golf event golf foursome golf and then he is doing a pitching lesson as well as, as an auction as well as a jake Degrom signed helmet as an auction item so a couple of cool items and i think we might have some yankees uh autograph stuff potentially too so Did a lot you promote of that cool chris sheeran's going to be there I haven't yet, but, but that's going to sell tickets up the wazoo if yes. I say that. How do you not be? It's one day away, and you haven't even promoted that the real podcast is coming. Well, I was going to do that today. You know, you travel the globe. I'm going to make sure you two are definitely in before I uh, promote it. But, uh, you know, Subway Series this weekend, 20-year anniversary of 9-11. Before we preview the Subway Series, guys, let's hear a montage of some Subway Series, World Series clips from 2000. Wendell sets and the pitch. Swung on line drive. Face it to left field. Here comes Tito. He scores. And the Yankees win the game. A big base hit for Jose Vizcaino. And the Yankees win 4-3. And they lead in this best of seven series. One game to nothing. Oh, what a game here on a Saturday night and Sunday morning in New York City. And the Yankees mob. Vizcaino around first base. What a ball game. If it's fair, it's gone. It's off the pole and a home run 
for Piazza. A 6-2 game as Piazza clangs the ball in left. All right, those clips courtesy of Michael Kay on WABC, Joe Buck and Fox, and the World Series 2000. And, Nelly, one of the highlights that we heard was you giving up a home run yeah, off to Mike ball. Piazza in yeah, the World Series. Great. What happened? Yeah. It was a fastball inside. I was I was ahead of him, and I wanted to come in and knock him off the plate, and he uh, somehow barreled up a sinker and hit it off the foul pole. So, you know, I, it what didn't make me very happy. That was the only run I've ever given up in the World Series, by the way. And he doesn't really? remember. he doesn't remember it at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Exactly. No, I, oh, I, it might have been a one-two count, and I'm like, I, I, I should have gone slider because he looked so bad in the past. But I kind of wanted to keep him honest and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you sniff something, and instead the foul pole sniffed one. Shearney, Nelly, this shows you how Nelly's a gamer. You know, 21 years later, he's like, he knows the exact speed, 67 degrees and cloudy. It was 10:30 p.m. Yeah, like, we, you know hey, we, time. we. We've seen this for now, the two years we've been doing this podcast. I, Nelly is a dude. If you look up dude in the dictionary, there's a picture of Nelly, you know, smiling with a beer in his hand. I mean, this guy, he's the consummate professional, A. B, he's the consummate um, competitor. He never wanted to lose. We're going to hear from Mike Stanton in our next segment, one of Nelly's teammates from those uh, World Series championship teams in the late nineties. So yeah, I mean, this does not shock me at all that you bring this up with him and he just knows exactly what the count was, what the pitch he threw to him was when you're a competitor and you hate to lose and you hate to make mistakes. Yeah. You remember everything. You're an elephant. And so that, that doesn't shock me at all. You look up roast master too. You'll see Jeffrey Ross oh, and Jeff God. Nelson as, as yes. the uh, <laughs> two roast kings next to each other. You never uh, want to slip up wearing different color sneakers around this guy ever. No, well, I will not be wearing the gold yeah, shoes yeah, on Friday God. night. I, I, I might wear uh we actually I'll give you guys some amazing but true shirts. I'm hopefully today the new shipment. We all have some black ones as well. Still waiting for you guys might like those the shirts. Yeah, well, we need to get a cartoon together. Next season, we're going to get those going. You heard, you know, the Roger Clemens moment, the Vizcaino signal, Piazza's homer off Nelly, and then the final out where I thought it was a homer. But, guys, two teams going in similar direct or different directions. The Yankees falling out a little bit, but they still have the second wild card. The Mets, four games back in the East, four and a half of the wild card going into Thursday. Yankees 75 and 56 all time versus the Mets. This is a huge series, guys, this weekend and what will be a packed house at City Field. NFL starts this weekend. So you'll have that Sunday. You might, you know, you're not going to have people coming back from the Giants game at MetLife at four o'clock. Um, this is a huge series for two teams. Yankees struggling. Mets are playing decent, but against terrible. 
terrible team, so it's a big test for them. So this will be a big test for both teams and uh, a series that could uh, swing either way. Yeah, it could. And, you know, this could be a situation where the Yankees could help bury the Mets or the Mets could help kick the Yankees out of the postseason. So it is a huge series, but let's not forget the most important game, and that's Saturday. I know this is a big series for, for both teams, but we remember, you know, 2001, the 20-year anniversary, and I think this is a great job by Major League Baseball scheduling this this game and this series at City Field to note this anniversary and the significance of it and how both of these teams were really part of the bandages for this city and for the victims' families and for just regular people who went through it and didn't know how to deal with it and had baseball and had football and had hockey and basketball start and just tried to bring everybody together and feel normal again. And I know, Jeff, you were with the Mariners, but you still felt it. I mean, your your Twitter handle is NY Nelly. I mean, you didn't play for the Mets because you wanted to be remembered as a Yankee. Derek Jeter just got inducted into the Hall of Fame and said he's a Yankee forever. It means something special. And I know you were a Mariner that season, but I know you felt that as well as everyone in this area. Yeah, it, you know, I I did my own radio show out there in 2001. That was the first time going back from, from the Yankees. I signed back with Seattle, and I was in Anaheim. And the guy that do the show with, he called me at 5.30 in the morning, told me to turn the TV on. And obviously from playing there, you and, and living, I didn't live here in the wintertime in New York, but, you know, obviously during the season, we were up in Westchester and Armonk and Rye. And you you just wondered, okay, did anybody that I knew, what ha- were they in the towers? Were they on that plane in Pennsylvania? Was was there anyone that I knew? And, and it didn't matter. I mean, obviously, it, it, whether you knew someone or not, but you know, you felt it because I was in New York for the last five years, and you felt it for the for every single New Yorker and every single person in the United States. And I was glued to the TV, and and baseball was secondary. It, it didn't matter. You know, we didn't care about when we were getting back. We actually wanted to get home to our families because we were in Anaheim and we were away, and we were we were stuck there for about a week before we were able to get out. And, you know, when we played the Yankees in the ALCS, I mean, that was a year that we won 116 games. And we thought, okay, hey, we can do it for the rest of the United States as well. I know as everybody, everybody's wrapping themselves around the Yankees, but we can do it as well. And But coming back here and, and playing in that ALCS and, and just the energy, after we lost game four, I knew we were losing anyway. But at the same, but before that, you felt like, you know, maybe it is the Yankees' time. Maybe it is the Yankees' time to represent the United States. And, you know, for everything that happened, when we came back and I was in Seattle, we actually went down to Ground Zero and they took us through. Uh, we went to a fire station and they took us through all the rubble and, and what, what what happened. And it was like going to a third world country. It was really, uh, really devastating. And everybody, you know, just because I played New York, but everybody felt it. Everybody, you know, knows exactly where they were that day. Jeff, what was it like for you to meet with some of the firefighters who survived and who were actually helping when, when you did take that visit down there to ground zero. Yeah. You know, it was, you, you try, you try to put yourself in their shoes and, and try to, you know, feel what they feel, but obviously you, you can't, and it's obviously a different feeling, but just the look on their faces, the devastation, even at that time, it was what a month later and they just looked exhausted you know, and it's still going through the rubble, you know, constantly picking up the debris and sending it wherever, uh, you know, I'm actually going to go to a couple of firehouses on Saturday as well. And, you know, just to visit, you know, I've gotten to meet people that have been 
or was a fireman or still is a fireman. And they, they kind of tell the stories uh, of that day and, and where they rescued and, and where, where, what building they were in. And all of a sudden they got out the last minute. It's, uh, you know, obviously something that I won't forget. And hopefully nobody will ever forget. I, I know both, both of us were, were grown ass men when it happened, but our producer and the co-host of Amazing But True. I mean, Jake, you were what, 10, 11 years old? Yeah, I, mean, I was well, 10. What? My dad worked in Manhattan. So, you know, I was a little worried. I didn't know exactly where he was. And I think he was closer to Midtown and he could just see everything happen from the top of his building. And, you know, he got home and we all cried and, and hugged each other. And you know, something you never forget where you were. You're in class. Yeah, I mean, I was Nelly's in the major leagues and here I am in, you know, fifth grade or sixth grade, whatever it was. It was a different world for me. So I don't have as, as good of a perspective as you guys do, but you just remember remember seeing on TV and then, you know, the Piazza home run 10 days later, which uplifted the city. You know, I still get goosebumps watching that clip and baseball was needed. That was the moment you were like, all right, this is right. They should be here. And this is what New York needs right now. So that was the start of it. And then the Yankees took that into October and into the World Series. Yeah. And I think everybody needed it. I I really do, especially uh, myself included. I worked at MSNBC. I had the morning shift that day. I uh, saw everything unfold. Michael Jordan was also coming out of retirement on that same day. So I was put in charge of putting a a story together with Jordan. Was he? I didn't. That was the same exact day. Oh, my goodness. He was coming out of retirement September 11, 2001. And uh, that was my job that day until the first plane hit. We didn't know what was going on, actually. And then I saw the second plane hit live and no one really uh, believed me until I took the tape out of one area, put it into another area. And uh, I started scrolling back and forth. That's when we all knew we were under attack. And it really didn't hit me till a couple weeks later. I w- and I went home because I couldn't go home that night. Uh, everything was shut down. So MSNBC had to put us up in Secaucus. And by the time I got home a couple weeks later, I saw the commercial. You can go on YouTube and I kind of watch it every year just to tear up a little bit because I do. The Budweiser commercial with the horses that genuflect where the towers used to be. Uh, it's on YouTube. You can go for yourself and you can go check that out. It was so well done by Budweiser. And of course, Jack Buck's speech at the Cardinals game, Joe's uh, late father. Uh, when the Cardinals came back to play, that's also on YouTube. Go check that out. I mean, baseball really brought it back around for me and kind of took everyone that was losing everything and kind of centered everybody. So sports was the great elixir. I know it didn't take away all of the pain, but it helped kind of regulate it. And we all uh, remember that. Now we're going to remember more from that 2001 season and that special run that ended by losing to the Diamondbacks. But the run that the Yankees went on that season with uh, one of the players that was on that team and Mike Stanton, a former teammate of Jeff Nelson's and uh, was on that 2001 team and has some special moments to, to discuss from that 2001 season. That's next right here on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Joining us now, Astros analyst on AT&T Sportsnet Southwest. He's also an analyst for MLB Network Radio Sirius XM and the former head coach of Don Bosco Prep in New Jersey. And of course, a former Yankee reliever, three World Series championships, four World Series appearances. Mike Stanton, thanks for coming back on. We appreciate the time, bud. No problem. How are you guys doing today? We're fantastic. A little better than the Yankees on my end. I don't know about Nelly. I can't speak for him, but uh, we're both. I'm tired. I'm tired. (laughs) 
the Yankees are playing, <laughs> Yankees are playing tired right now too. But before we get to this team, uh, Mike, we, we, we want to talk about 20 years ago, back in 2001, you were on the 2001 Yankees after, of course, the uh, World Trade Center uh, was destroyed by terrorists on 9-11-2001. Just can you give us a few? I mean, I know you guys had an off day on the 10th, uh, but what was it like after it happened? I know a lot of teams in the area rallied to, to help everybody, and you guys were part of that. Just give us a feel of what was going on. Well, just like everyone else, it was just pure, pure shock. I mean, you know, this is something that had never happened on U.S. soil, and hopefully it never happens again. And, and for us to go through it at the time, I don't, uh, it, it was really surreal because it was almost like you were watching a movie. You know, you didn't want to believe it. You wanted to be able to just, you know, stand up and walk out of the theater and think that it, it was all just fiction, but it wasn't. It was a very crazy time in America at that time. And, and I, I think that coming out of it, the response that we got, not from just our government, but, you know, from from just the American people, it was absolutely incredible. You know, the unity that we had in the country and the way everyone stood up, everyone was angry, everyone was pulling on the same side of the rope. But as far as 9-11 in particular that day was, I just could not believe that we were actually going through this. You know, where were you? Where How did you find out? I mean, was it turning on the TV? Did somebody call you or... You know, because I, I was in Anaheim and we, I was with Seattle then. So and I got a call at 530 in the morning from a guy who do the radio show. And he immediately said, turn on the TV. And it was like, whoa. Yeah. Like you said, we had an off day and uh, we were supposed to play that night. It was an absolutely beautiful day. A cold front had just come through and blown out all the humidity, had a nice little north breeze. And my wife and I, the kids were at school. My wife and I were just sitting at the house and a friend of hers had called and, and said a plane had just hit one of the towers, uh, one of the trade, uh, the World Trade Center towers. And so we put on the TV and we sat there, you know, with our mouths open watching it. And, you know, it's a, an image that will, will be burned into my brain forever was we actually just watched the second plane hit the, the second tower. And we just could not believe that, that this was happening. What was the feel, Mike, after that in the club Yankees clubhouse? Was it you guys rallying around New York and, and America? Because obviously you go to the World Series, you guys lose. But um, it seems like you guys truly uplifted the city. Was that something that you guys talked about in the clubhouse? Um, well, we weren't in the clubhouse for a long time. You know, we were, we, I think we were off for 11 days. And to tell you the truth, we had no idea what to do. You know, I was a player rep at the time. So there was a lot of contact between the Yankees and the Players Association and all that kind of stuff. And, and no one knew, you know, should we cancel the season? Should we, you know, should we wait a month? Should we wait two weeks? Uh, we really had no idea really until we got back on the field. Once we got back on the field and we saw the response from the fan base, then we're like, okay, this is exactly where we need to be. So, yeah, we really didn't know. <clears throat> you know, everybody did things a little bit differently. You know, the Mets organization, they were using Chase, the parking lot at Chase Stadium as a, as a uh, staging center. And, you know, we opened up on the road when we did come back. So it, it, was, it was a little different for the two teams. But, you know, the Mets did an incredible job of, you know, just doing anything and everything they could to help out. And, and the Yankees, the, the players of the Yankees did exactly the same thing. Everybody had their own ideas, how they wanted to help. But, you know, it was just the response of everyone, the way everyone stood up and, and just wanted to do something to help. Mike, I, I think you came back to playing. I, and I think the series that you started back was in Chicago against the White Sox. What was the feeling 
amongst the White Sox. I mean, did they have any feelings for you guys? Uh, you know, what you were dealing with in New York? Did the fans embrace you? Because I remember the Giants, when they came back, their first game was in Kansas City. And I remember that the fans at Arrowhead Stadium had signs supporting the Giants. I mean, it's it's something that I never saw before in my life when it came to sports. But it seemed, Mike, that sports is, and like you just said, I mean, you couldn't have said it any better. This That is exactly where you need it to be. I mean, for those three hours, three and a half hours for a football game or a baseball game, it was the only time where I felt normal. Well, we were the distraction. I mean, we we were... You know, we like to call it a sport and everything, but in, in reality, what it is, is, you know, we were, we're entertainment. You know, we're part of the entertainment industry. And, and that was, that's exactly what everyone needed. They needed that distraction. They needed that little break from reality, from, you know, our world being turned upside down. And, you know, that's why I said we felt like, you know, that's exactly where we'd be. We, you know, we had a great response, although every, everywhere we went for the rest of the season, you know, it was only a couple of weeks. Uh, we got a great response from everywhere. And, you know, the, the crazy thing about it was, and, you know, Nelly was on the other side. You know, there was no team that was hated more than the Yankees. I mean, prior to 9-11, it didn't matter where we went. We got booed. I mean, we were, you know, we were the best team in baseball. We were the, the last dynasty. And it was kind of shocking to, to us as players that, yeah, you know, we thought that, you know, we would get some positive response, but it was really everywhere we went. It went from, uh, you know, the Bronx cheers to, to actually the opposing fan bases not accepting us, kind of embracing us. Yeah, it was it was it was strange because we kept saying in Seattle when we when we played you guys in the ALCS, he said, "Hey, we'll do it for the rest of the United States. We'll do it for the United States as well." But everybody wrapped their arms around the Yankees and said, "Do it for the Yankees. Do it for the Yankees. The Yankees will do it for the for the United States." And what was that like? I mean, you go to the World Series and then you have President Bush come out and, and the fans and and being in Yankee Stadium. What was that feeling like? And and just being in that atmosphere. I know it was a few days obviously a couple weeks after maybe a month after uh you know everything happened but what was that feeling when you first you know that first game of the world series when president bush is there in the cheers you've been in yankee stadium the start of world series games and 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 you know you really can't get why you didn't we couldn't we didn't think it could really get any more energetic than just the, the electricity in the stadium but when president bush went out there and then challenger the eagle flew I mean, I still, to this day, I just got goosebumps thinking about it. I mean, it was it was truly incredible. The response from, uh, you know, the fans in the stands and, and just how George Steinbrenner and the Yankees just orchestrated it and everything and, and having President, President Bush out there throw the first pitch. It was, it, it was, well, it's exactly what you would expect. I mean, it was a storybook situation. It was really a storybook, something that, you know, Hollywood would write, except we actually didn't win the World Series. We lost it. But yeah, it, it was more energetic and more passionate than I have ever felt anywhere, but you know, definitely in Yankee Stadium. Uh, and a lot of people might not know this too, Mike, but President Bush was full Kevlar when he threw a strike <laughs> uh, for the first pitch of that game. It was amazing and goosebumps abound. You're absolutely a thousand percent correct. One of your former teammates just was inducted to the Hall of Fame and you guys aren't even in that World Series if you don't come back and beat the A's. I just want to, I'm curious, I, I need to know what your vantage point was and where you were specifically for that flip play uh, with Jeter in Oakland uh, when you guys started the comeback and you won that game one nothing with 
Moose on the mound. Just what were your thoughts about that play, and 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 where were you sitting when that happened? You know, I'm not exactly sure where I was. I've seen it so many times, so in my mind, I, I keep seeing it on TV. But I think I was in the bullpen. And, and Moose was dealing. There was question when he came over to New York whether he was a big-time starter. Well, he proved that he absolutely was. And he was – he was the tell you the truth, we were, we were down and out. That play really kind of turned – Turned the whole series. We had not played well up until that point. You know, Moose was, I think it was one to nothing when that play happened. It, it was just a remarkable, you know, heads up, baseball instincts type play. And of course, everyone, everyone gets on, on Giambi for not sliding, but you know, he's running from third base going, there's no play here. The throw is offline and, and Jeter just makes the great backhand flip and then the tag by Posada. And I really think that that one play, that one play turned the whole series. I really feel like if, if Giambi is safe there, we probably lose that series. You know, what, what did, playing with Jeter, you know, I always thought that, you know, it's funny, everybody, the A-Rod, the Garcia Parra, the Batista with the Orioles or the A's at the time but you know I always thought that because of that play but not just because of that play he was always probably the smartest guy on the field he was always a right in the right place at the yeah. right time and you know to play with him even from the get-go from 96 it was just everybody followed some young kid because he just had a passion like nobody else had as far as winning what was that like for you I mean what, what did you see in him what made him so great the intangibles were what put him over the top I mean was he the best shortstop in the game no he probably wasn't top three or four. You know, that was a day and age of just amazing shortstops, a lot like what we have now in Major League Baseball. And, you know, did he have the most power? No. You know, did he have the highest on base percentage? No. Was he the best defensive shortstop? No, he wasn't. But he definitely had the flair for the dramatic. He carried himself impeccably all the way through his career, which, you know, doing that in New York at that time was almost next to impossible. And, you know, there was no one you wanted up in a tight situation more than Derek Jeter because you knew, even if he wasn't going to come through, you knew it was going to be a quality at bat and you knew that he was going to fight with everything that he had. The, the moment was not ever going to be too big for Derek. And and that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he got his 3,000 hits and everything like that, but the reason he became captain, the reason it was the intangibles, it wasn't because of who he was on the field, it was who he was off. Mike, he did bring up yesterday in his speech that uh, he thanked the baseball writers, except the one that didn't vote for him. <laughs> I thought that was uh, <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was pretty funny when he said that. And, and you know, it was tongue-in-cheek, but you could see there's a little bit of seriousness every time you joke around yeah. there's a little bit of truth that comes out in jokes but um there are still people and you know you go on twitter and there are people with blue check marks who think he he's not a hall of famer he, he does not belong in cooperstown what do you say to the people who still think that this guy should not be in Cooperstown. Well, I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I mean, it's one of the it's one of the things we're going through in our country right now. Everyone's supposed to be able to to voice your opinion, but they're crazy. They are. There's there's nothing. Being a Hall of Famer doesn't mean you were the best player to ever man the position. And I don't think Derek was the best shortstop to ever cross the white line. Was he on the short list of among the best? Absolutely he was. And then you look at his postseason pedigree, just absolutely puts him over the top. If anyone had any real question, there's always going to be haters. And, and I think there's probably some of those voters that did it just simply because, you know, Derek was a Yankee and Derek was, you know, as good as he was, even if he wasn't the best. But like I said, you, you put in, you get him in a pressure situation, you know that he was going to come through more times than not. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. You know, I always said that, 
you know, you take the Garcia Pars, uh, A Rod, uh, you know, Batista, you know, and put Jeter in that conversation. If you any any one of those guys, who would you rather have in a pressure situation, and day in and day out? Like you said, he may not be the best, but he was the guy in a pressure situation. Out of all of them, I, I would have taken him not ten times out of ten for a pressure yeah. situation. Yeah, he had he had ice water. He had ice water in his veins. He really did. There was there was no situation that was too big for him, and and that's one of the things that puts you in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's not necessarily just about the numbers, which he put the numbers up also. But you know, you have to look at the intangibles, and, and he had those. Mike, I I've been on the short end of the stick of the subway. Season series as a Mets fan for my entire life used to uh, us losing I think the overall records like 50 75 and 56 the Yankees have won what did you have fond memories you know with the 20th anniversary of 9-11 on Saturday and the Mets playing the Yankees this weekend did you have fond memories of the subway series you know they've been slowly making it four game series instead of six and they're saying it's dying down it's still my favorite series but what are your subway series memories you know there, there are so many of them I mean it, we the, the games on the field really aren't what I remember the most. It's, it's really the fans' reaction to it. And the reason interleague play is still around is because interleague play is still better than regular, you know, the regular division and league play. So, and the having the Mets and the Yankees play, that's probably the, the number one, we'll call it rivalry, but the number one matchup that everyone still wants to see. And um, I, to me, what I remember more than anything else is the fan reaction. You know, you're playing 162 games. Who you're playing really doesn't matter. Yeah, there's some guys, some teams that are, are more important than others. And I, I know when, when Nelly and I, we were playing together in New York, playing the Red Sox was a lot bigger than playing the Mets. But the fan reaction just made it just so much fun because there was so much passion, whether you were at Shea Stadium or if you were at Yankee Stadium. It really didn't matter. It was more about the fans. And that's what interleague play was about. It's it wasn't put in because it makes sense. It actually makes no sense at all. <laughs> but the reaction, the reaction for the fan base, that's the only reason that Bud Selig put it in. I, I want to go back a couple more years, Mike, because the 1998 team was just an unreal, unbelievable team. You you came over to the Yankees the year before that. You all lost to the Indians. Uh, I, I really don't like to think about that and remember that. It was terrible uh, as a fan. But the next year, I mean... It was just a situation where you didn't even have to wonder if you guys won. If you didn't have time to watch the game or, or, or you were out and you couldn't get the score back then, you didn't have cell phones or a tablet to watch the game on. But the next day you would just you would look in the paper. Ah, yeah, they won. I mean, what the what the hell did I have to worry about? I knew they were going to win. Going out into that bullpen with you and Nelly, how much fun was that season and how much fun did you all have out there being pretty much the best team that ever stepped foot on a diamond? Uh, we, we had a blast and, and, you know, Nelly and I, you know, we picked on each other and we joked with the, I mean, we were kind of the, the ringleaders down there and having fun and, you know, going to the ballpark. I mean, that was the year that really gave the Yankees the big reputation. You know, we were good in ni- 99. We were good in 2000 going forward, but it was really 98. You know, we didn't beat up on starting pitchers. We beat up on middle relief. You know what? That was the year that we got the reputation of, you know, getting the starter out, get the hundred pitches in in the fifth inning, get the starter out, and then we beat up on the 11th, 12th, 13th guy on the staff. 
And, you know, it, it was what was incredible. It really seemed like we never lost. I mean, at the end of the season, when you put when you add the postseason, 125 and 50, 75 games over 500. I think that's probably what personally I'm as proud of for that team as anything else is just the fact that if you whenever we did lose, we got mad. That that ticked us off. You know, we weren't supposed to lose. We felt like we were there. We were supposed to win every single solitary game. And anytime we did lose, it seemed like we would go on a three or four or five game winning streak. Now, we just didn't do it very often. You know, the, uh, as dominant as that team is was, especially on paper now looking back, if you actually go through the postseason, yeah, we weren't that dominant. I mean, we've won, we've won most of the games in the postseason, but there were some very tight games that there was a big swing by, by Tino or, or a big pitch by somebody to, to get a double play, whatever it might have been. And because a lot of those games could have swung the other way in, in, in just a play or two. But yeah, that, that was, that was the funnest year I've ever had. There's been years I pitched better, but as far as just the team, the camaraderie, you know, the, the clubhouse and then just how we played and how it all turned out, I, I don't think that's there's really no contest i have people ask me all the time you know what team did you have the most fun with i go well you know what that that doesn't that's not really a fair question since we did win three world series in a row yeah I, it's so funny that when you said um that we we got the starter out and we destroyed middle relief i remember many a nights watching games at the bar and when you guys chased the starter me and my friends would start the circus music do 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 because we knew we knew <laughs> right. the game we knew the game was over it's so funny that you bring that up and then that immediately pops into my head because yeah, you it's like exactly the blue jays right. what their blue jays are doing to the yankees and pretty, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much <laughs> oh mike we we appreciate the time as always three-time world series champion with the new york yankees you could follow mike on twitter at mike stanton 29 the astros analyst on at&t sportsnet southwest and of course a former teammate of nelly on those great yankee teams mike we appreciate the time enjoy the rest of the season and we look forward to talking to you again soon yeah thank you very much for having me and everyone out there just always remember 9-11 that says good night to episode 85 of the pinstripe pod our yankees podcast for the new york post thanks to jake brown and brian mungia for producing the show going to apple podcast right now give us a five-star rating write in a positive review we do appreciate it you could also find us on spotify or wherever else you get your podcast. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We're back on Monday following the Subway Series in Queens. Enjoy the games and your weekend, and thanks for listening to the Pinch Strike Pod. <laughs>